The reading is from Romans chapter 13, verses 1 to 7, and that's on page 1140. Romans chapter 13, verses 1 to 7. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishments, but also because of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants, who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honour, then honour. It's an important question, isn't it? Uh, How are Christians to relate to governments and uh, to civil authorities? I mean, when we read our newspapers and we think about uh, the government in Burma at the moment, we think about the government in Zimbabwe, uh, how are Christians in those countries meant to relate to those uh, very obviously flawed regimes? Uh, How are we to relate to the government and to civil authorities uh, when we read about the uh, Human Fertilization and Embryology Bill? Uh, How are Christians to relate to the government and to civil authorities? Authorities. What does it mean, you see, when we say that Jesus Christ is now Lord of our lives, if he is now the king and the ruler, the government in our lives, well, what does that mean about how we relate to civil governments? It's a very important question. We, are, we should be asking it now. And indeed, the people to whom uh, the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the Romans uh, must have been discussing the issue then too. They lived in Rome. It was the capital of the Roman Empire. Uh, There were issues there as to how Christians were to relate to the government. What did it mean if Jesus Christ is Lord, if that is the gospel that we believe with all our hearts and our lives, what does that mean about relating to governments? Well, before we uh, dive into the passage, let me just uh, point out one or two things. Firstly, this uh, passage in chapter 13 is still flowing out of the introduction in chapter 12, verses 1 to 2 where we read, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So the apostle is talking about the way of life that worships God in every area of our life in response to his mercy towards us. And one of the areas it affects is the way we relate to the government. And so when we become a Christian, it may be that we used to think about the authorities in a particular way. And now, in view of God's mercy to us, we need to learn to have our minds renewed, to be transformed in the way we think 
and live in response to him. Well, let's just look at chapter 13, verse 1. There's a sort of summary statement there where we read, everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. That's a pretty big statement, isn't it? Everyone, so everyone, everyone here, must submit himself to the governing authorities. It's a pretty big statement. Now, I want to spend a little time establishing some qualifications that the Bible puts upon that big statement before we return to it in this passage. And then we'll be able to go through the passage fairly quickly. Obviously, the relationship between church and state has been a a matter of controversy throughout Christian history. I think it's uh, helpful to identify four general approaches to the relation between state and church. Firstly, what can be called Erastianism, that is where the state controls the church. And you can see the damage done by that sort of thing when you look at the history of National Socialism in Germany in the 1930s. Uh, Conversely, theocracy, where the church controls the state. A more uh, mediating line, uh, Constantinianism, uh, where the state uh, favours the church in return for accommodation to state policy. Or the best, the fourth, partnership, in which state and church recognise distinct God-given responsibilities, hopefully in a spirit of uh, constructive collaboration. And it's this last position of partnership where we recognise that the state and the church both have God-given responsibilities that I think is best um, uh, tr- or truest to the Bible and is perhaps summarised by Jesus' famous words, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Now Paul in chapter 13 is describing the, the normal and general attitude of Christians to state authorities. But it's not a full treatise on state-church relationships. And, of course, the Bible teaches elsewhere on this issue and qualifies our submission to the state. Where the state commands what God forbids or forbids what God commands, then it becomes a Christian's plain duty to God to disobey the state. So there are, if you like, some established limits to our submission to state authorities. I'm going to give you three important examples from the Bible. Firstly, you may remember that the Hebrew midwives in Egypt, back in the book of Exodus, are commended for refusing to kill the newborn babies, which Pharaoh commanded them to do, just as Christians today will join the growing numbers of NH staff, reported in the papers, who are simply unwilling to go on colluding with or supporting the current policy on abortion in this country. Now, I'm aware that uh, many of us here will have had abortions, all have been responsible for abortions. I realize that this is a contemporary issue for us. These are massive things, and we need to help one another to think these things through. Uh, There is forgiveness from God for all the things that we do wrong, and there is help to be different. But we cannot simply ignore this issue because it's so personal. This uh, bill that's being debated in Parliament tomorrow is quite frankly appalling. The Human Fertilisation Embryology Bill, which is being voted on on Monday and Tuesday, has four dreadful innovations. Firstly, it allows scientists to create and experiment upon human-animal embryos. It allows the creation of saviour siblings, 
that is to have a child just so as to treat the illness of another child. It provides for IVF treatment with no recognition of the father. And it provides for even easier abortion, so as to make social abortions even easier. Now, we have to face the fact that of the 200,000 abortions now conducted in this country every year, 200,000, the vast majority are for social reasons of inconvenience. And as Christians, we have to stand up in our generation and say this cannot be right. This must change. We must pray. We must pray. God answers prayer, so let's pray. (coughs) We need to lobby. We can write to our MPs. We can ring our MPs. We can leave a message for our MP, even at this late stage. We can rally. Tuesday afternoon... Uh, I think it's, uh, is it 3.30? 3.30 outside the front of Westminster, 4.30, 5.30? No, it's 5.30, 5.30, that's right. So you can just get there if you get away from work, work early. And quite frankly, Christians will not comply with immoral demands of the government like this. And those that are involved in the health services will want to exempt ourselves from these things as a matter of conscience. Because the Bible makes plain that the unborn child has equal dig- dignity with those of us who are born. We're made in the image of God. We are precious to him. And this is an issue on which we will look back in the future as we currently look back on slavery and ask, how could Christians do so little? And we're feeling it in our bones why Christians do so little. So there is the first issue. uh, The Hebrew midwives in Egypt, and we'd be following in that tradition, in refusing to kill in accordance with government law. Or again, let's take a second example in the Old Testament where the Jewish exiles in Babylon, living in pagan Babylon, would not comply with Nebuchadnezzar's uh, law that required all um, the the people to worship the statue of him. Had a problem with pride in Nebuchadnezzar. So this is a massive great big golden statue and everybody had to uh, bow before the statue and worship him. And uh, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, Yorshak, Meshach and a bungalow, refused they say, we will not bow down to your statue. And of course, uh, later on in the, the parallel passage in that uh, onion ring in, in Daniel, chapter t- to 6, matching chapter 3, Daniel wouldn't obey the king, king Darius's edict to pray to him. And so was uh, thrown to the lion's den. And uh, in other words, they were not prepared to worship any god but the living God. And so today, Christians will not comply with any requirement to teach pluralism or to behave pluralistically, whether to teach it in schools or colleges or to observe, uh, to take part in multi-faith services or to pretend in any way that there's any God but the living God. And I think increasingly, I mean, in the past in this country, our Christian history has meant we've been able to say it, everybody's understood, I'm sorry, I'm just not comfortable with that. But increasingly, we're going to have to say at work, aren't we? I'm sorry, it's a matter of conscience. It's a matter of my faith in the living God. I I cannot, I will not take part in what you propose. Christians will not comply with the idolatrous demands of a government. Take a third example in in Acts. The apostles would not comply with the, uh, the governing Sanhedrin's command to stop preaching the gospel message. We will simply not stop telling people the way to eternal life. We must obey God rather than men, they said, just as Christians today will not obey or collude with government restrictions or indeed with Church of England or diocesan or any other restriction 
that tells us we can't preach the gospel where people need to hear it. Even if it means that, uh, in, as in many nations, eventually we might have to, to meet underground, going to Belarus and meeting Christians who used to meet in the forest, 40 degrees below, below zero, because that was the only way they could meet, secretly for fear of discovery. But they met to pray, to, to study God's word, to encourage one another, to keep living and speaking for Christ. So even if we end up being an underground church, we will not stop preaching the gospel, whatever it costs. And so while the state is described in this passage as the servant of God in Romans 13, it is also the instrument of the devil in Revelation 13. In other words, the gospel gospel is equally hostile to both government tyranny and social anarchy. So do remember that there are these kind of qualifications, these parameters within which we're to obey chapter 13. But the general attitude within these parameters is described for us here. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. Submission to our Lord Jesus Christ is to be reflected in submission to the authority in recognition that all authority in this world is delegated, is granted by God, and it derives from him. It is not to commend the corruption that uh, is bound to infect any human government by degrees. It's not commending that. It's simply to recognize that the power they exercise is granted by God and that therefore those who exercise it are accountable to God. Now this understanding of accountability to God is critical for us to understand. In the previous verses in chapter 12, the Apostle Paul has told the Romans to live at peace. Uh, Look at verse 18. If it is possible, chapter 12, verse 18, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. So the, the Apostles already established a very important principle, that it is not for us, to, to, to uh, carry out God's justice in the world. God will carry it out on Judgment Day. And so where, Pharaoh, where, where governments uh, are corrupt, where they are uh, unjust, don't think for a minute that God will, they will not face God. They will face God one day. I mean, what will it be like for Mugabe when he stands before the living God? Or for Pol Pot, or for Stalin, or for Hitler? You would not want to be them. And justice will be done And God promises us that he will avenge the victims of that social injustice. He will repay for the way they have abused their power. So it struck me that the reason that Moses didn't lead an uprising against uh, the evil slavery of Pharaoh, the reason that Daniel didn't lead an uprising against the civil rule of Babylon, the reason the apostles didn't lead an uprising against the occupation of, of Rome, It's not that these regimes weren't evil, but they will face God for it one day. Now, they did ask, of course, in each case, they went to ask for the liberty to live as Christians. It's not that God doesn't care about oppressed people. It is that God will judge those who oppress them on the day when Christ returns, and justice will be done, and we will see it done, and all will be satisfied that it has been done. And so on this basis, the apostle commends our human relationships to be modeled upon God himself. 
It's very striking when you read the Bible that all human relationships are modeled upon the nature of God himself. Remember, God is complex. He's plural. He's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in unity. And so you have three persons in one, Father, Son, and Spirit. Each is equally God, equally important, if you like. But there is order to their relationship. The Father is an authority over the Son and the Spirit. The Spirit is is submissive to the Son and to the Father. There, There is no problem with that. There's no inequality in order. Each is fully God. And so human relationships are modeled upon God in all human relationships. Someone will be asked to exercise authority and to do so for the good of those over whom they rule. And those who are under their rule are asked to submit as if to the Lord. So, for example, uh, parents and children. Children are to submit to their parents in biblical thinking. Parents are an authority over their children. It's not because children are inferior to parents, not at all. We're equally important. But that is the order of the family, modeled upon the nature of God. So also for church members and church leaders, for employers and employees. An employee is not less important than an employer. And the employer will face God for the way he treats the employees. So for husbands and wives and men and women, and also for the state and citizens. And the responsibility of each is not conditional upon the performance of the other. So the government must rule this country for the good of its people, even when we're an ungrateful and rebellious bunch. And likewise, we're to submit to their rule, even when they are very far from being the perfect rulers we long for. Paul's requirement for submission, you see, is pretty stark here, isn't it? I don't think it's explained by a particularly kindly period in Roman government. Rome was the capital of the Roman Empire, which could be a brutal regime. And the issue of state-church relationships was naturally important. Although Paul was probably writing before the, the, the vicious Neronian persecution of Christians, we, we know that there was considerable unrest in Rome about the levels of taxation. Uh, people had recently been evicted from Rome, including some of the, the, uh, the Jewish Christians. And uh, that Nero was persuaded by his senators to maintain the high levels of indirect taxation on goods as well as direct taxation on the uh, non-Roman citizens. So there was considerable unrest in Rome at the time. And of course, Paul himself knew that Jesus Christ had been condemned to death under Roman law and that he himself risked state censure as he went around doing his evangelism. And yet still he insists that in general Christians should submit. And he does so for three reasons which are evident from the text. Let's get to them. The first is longer than the second or third, much, much briefer. So verses 1 and 2, the first reason is, for they're established by God. Let me read 1 and 2 for you again. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Well, there's no authority except what God has established. You may recall that in the Old Testament, in the, uh, the prophet Daniel, right at the heart of the book, Daniel 3 4, the repeated phrase, The Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. 
This is not to say that he is responsible for the evils of Babylon or Rome or of Hitler and Stalin or of Mugabe and Amin. He's not responsible for the evils of a communist communist regime. Nor is he saying that tyrants should not be resisted, but it is to recognize that God granted them power for which they will account to him. As Jesus himself said to Pilate, you would have no authority over me if it were not given to you from above. And then he submitted himself to Pilate's death sentence. But be assured, Pilate will stand before God on judgment day for what he did that day. And so will the governments of this world. In other words, the fact that such men have power is not such, such uh, sufficient grounds to disobey. Indeed, says Paul, the authorities that exist have been established by God. God has his sovereign purposes, even in the evil and deficient governments we see around us in this world. They are responsible for their evil, but God's purposes are not thwarted, even though they are appointed. So whether through an election or through a dynastic succession or through a bloody coup d'etat, God is still at work through these governments. God has not lost control of this world because there are evil states and corrupt governments. And so we must generally submit. We must submit to these governments. Indeed, he who rebels against their authority is rebelling against God. And we can expect to suffer judgment with present penalties imposed by the state as a foretaste of the judgment to come when we stand before God if we rebel against God's authorities. Now, what it seems to me, the result of this is, it seems to me that we should uh, utilize all legal rights to protest and all legal avenues for change. The apostle is not commending here a disengagement from social issues. He's not saying that Christians should just retreat into our bunkers and uh, live in kind of ghettos. He's not saying that. He's simply saying that in the way that we seek change in society, remember that the government is there by God's permission. Therefore, we should seek the lawful avenues for change. Yes, we should refuse to submit for immoral or idolatrous or anti-evangelistic purposes. So there are issues in state life, aren't there, where there, are, there will be issues we need to refuse. Thinking of South Africans, for example, many will be aware of how the church in South Africa now, in many, in many cases, suffers from a lack of respect because the Christians would not stand up against apartheid uh, when apartheid was in full swing. We do not want to be in a similar situation uh, now on abortion. But nevertheless, we want to seek the proper avenues for change. Now, of course, that's, this is the case with all authorities. It's the case with the Church of England authorities. So be assured, for example, in our church planting, when we seek to start new churches, we do go through the proper avenues first. You know, we tell the bishops what we're hoping to do. We ask for any help that they can give us. We abide by their church planting uh, 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 conditions uh, insofar as we can. But as I was um, happy, happily discussing with the Bishop of London just recently, we cannot wait until everybody is happy. And he agreed. You must not wait till everyone is happy. Because if we wait... We'll never save London. We'll never save the people who live here if we wait and wait and wait till absolutely everybody's happy for us to start a new church. So we go through the proper avenues. At the same time, we must keep going.
to reach the lost with the gospel. So it's very important, you see, for the early churches with no Christian history to learn from that submission to Christ is not incompatible with submission to the state. So the first reason is there is no authority except that which God has established. Governments are appointed by him. The second reason for obedience to authority, verse 3, for they are no threat to those doing good. Look at verse 3 with me, will you? For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. Again, speaking generally of the situation in society, and happily in this country, this is generally true. Rulers hold no terror for those who do right. So Christians need not live fundamentally in fear of government and civil authority, certainly in this country. They're appointed by God to bring order. And and it struck me, you see, that where Christianity is new in a society, or where it enjoys no official recognition by society, Christians could regard state powers with excessive suspicion and fear. We don't need to do that. For example, although on the one hand it might be the endemic uh, danger for Church of, Church of England churches like this one, as the established church in the UK, to be compromising towards compliance with state policy, secular policy, the opposite danger is for uh, free churches and new churches here and around the world to be totally disengaged from uh, local government issues, from civil policy and from state issues. The time may come, you see, We want to pray for the fact that Christians can be involved in government, be involved in in civic duties, and can emerge to influence policy for the sake of the gospel. It seems to me that we want to encourage Christians to be in public life and to be in government and, and civil life. And let's face it, there may emerge a Joseph or a Daniel or a Nicodemus or a Wilberforce who can bring enormous change in our society for good. So secondly, obey the authorities, submit to them, for they are no threat to those doing good. They are the instruments generally of good in society. Thirdly, submit to the authorities, verse 4, for they are God's servants. This is an amazing verse. Look at verse 4. For he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. In this verse, Paul actually uses uh, terminology used elsewhere of church worship. The word for for deacons and the word for ministers uh, used here of state officials. So, you know, in other words, the language of worship can be used of somebody in their uh, official and civic function. In recognition that whether or not they're conscious of it, When government officers bring social justice, when they bring welfare, when they bring prosperity, when they protect the vulnerable, when they act against human trafficking and immorality, indeed, through the police and the courts when they punish criminal behaviour, they are the instruments of God's will. In fact, Paul even endorses the Roman capital punishment system here, in line with the Old Testament recognition that life is so precious to God that if somebody takes it, Their own life is forfeit. I don't think, for example, that he's commanding that we should have capital punishment. He's simply recognizing where there is a system of capital punishment, it is legitimate. Let's not go there for now. 
Now, what does this mean? What it means is we should pray for those, for kings and for governments. We should pray regularly, both in our private prayers as well as in church, for those in authority in our country. No point despairing about the laws that are being employed and passed in this country. We've never prayed for the government. We need to pray for them. We want to encourage Christians. There are a number here who are involved in parliamentary issues and in government, in politics and work in government departments. Pray for Westminster Act 1, our ministry for people involved in government, meeting on Wednesday lunchtimes over in Westminster Square, Parliamentary Parliament Square. Pray for Westminster at 1. Pray for uh, Christians in Parliament, for Christian MPs, for Christian lobby groups. Uh, Pray for the Christian Institute as they're involved in lobbying MPs and those involved uh, in Parliament. And let's encourage, and let's also take an interest ourselves to read the newspapers, to be informed, and to have an opinion, and to speak up for the Christian worldview in the workplace and wherever we can. Seems to me, you see, it as a church, uh, there's a temptation to be uh, at two ends of an extreme. We've been discussing this um, as a staff a fair bit. Uh, we could say to ourselves, "Look, the world needs the gospel, and so what we'll do is we'll just concentrate on gospel work, and we won't get involved in social policy or government action of any kind." And of course, some people would say that. On the other hand, we could say, "Look, the Bible commends all kinds of wonderful things. We'll try and do everything the Bible says with equal vigor." Which, of course, in the end will mean that uh, because the, the country, generally, that is unbelievers, will not want the gospel work, they'll much more approve of our social work. And we might end up being uh, totally committed to lots and lots of social transformation, and our gospel evangelism work could get left behind. Well, you see, the trouble with the first view is if we just do evangelism, we know it is the greatest need of the country. What this country and what this world needs above everything else is the gospel. Indeed, the gospel is the primary power for social change because through the gospel, the Spirit of God changes people's hearts so they can repent and change and live in accordance with God's word. But the trouble is the Bible tells us to do more than preach the gospel. There's a lot more in the Bible and we can't just ignore the rest of what the Bible says. But equally, we can't do everything with equal vigor because the greatest need of this this city and of this world is the gospel. So it seems to me that as a church and as Christians, we want to try and obey all that the Bible says, to do everything that God requires of us in the situations where we are, but to remember that there is a priority, that the greatest need and the greatest good that we can do for people at work, we can do for people everywhere, is to tell them about Jesus Christ. And so we try and obey the, the, the word of God in all its complexity, but with a sense of priority that we want to save people for the kingdom of God to come. Well, what are the implications then? Well, verses 5, 6, and 7 give them to us. They're quite simple. If government authorities are agents of God's will, there are three related applications. Firstly, submit. Submit, verse 5. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. So we obey the law of the land, even when we're not going to get caught We'll obey the law of the land, yes, for fear of being punished, but not only for that reason, but also because we should. It's wrong to break the law. Which, if you know me well, has unfortunate implications for our behavior on the roads. 
It means that even when the cameras aren't on us, we can't speed. But of course it has implications, does it, in all of our life. Where there are government restrictions, we need to abide by them in our personal finances, in the office, with genuine compliance with the law of the land. Not only because we might get caught, but because it's the right thing to do. Secondly, not only should we submit, but secondly, pay taxes, which may well have been the particular presenting issue in Rome at the time, verse 6. He says, verse 6, this is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. So we should pay what is owed honestly. Uh, I don't know whether you have um, conversations with an accountant each year to fill in your tax or whether somebody else does it for you. But time and time again, you have this kind of conversation with accountants, don't you? It goes, it goes like this. You know, they say, oh, well, we'll put in a generalized figure, which is like, that's what, that's, you can get away with that kind of figure. And you say to them, excuse me, I think we should be honest about it. He says, oh, don't worry, everybody puts in that figure. And so, actually, I'm a Christian. I'm really concerned to be very honest about this. Do you mind if we just kind of think accurate about this? And down comes the figure to the reality. Yeah, we'll be poorer, but at least we're being honest. In other words, we pay our taxes. We don't try and uh, evade VA value-added tax on services. Uh, yes, by all means, be economically sensible. By all means, plot and plan uh, the way to, to uh, uh, plan your business so you can avoid taxation where possible, but not illegally. And therefore, it wouldn't be Christians leading... Do you remember the poll tax riots? Well, some of you aren't old enough to remember them, but the poll tax tiots, uh, tiots, the riots in uh, uh, Trafalgar Square and so on, there was tremendous unrest in this country about the poll tax. Well, by all means, pursue all legitimate avenues for change. We wouldn't have been rioting and committing criminal damage, damage and uh, violence uh, in, in the way that happened then. Uh, as, as, the, as now, of course, in Rome also, the poll tax was very unpopular. We're permitted to debate, we're permitted to, to protest, but in the end, we will submit to paying taxation. And thirdly, give what is due, verse 7. Give everyone what, it, what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. You see, as Christians, we are not above and beyond the law of the government. We are not above and beyond social order. And so, so we're to respect the authorities and those in authority over us at all levels. And in particular, we won't join... You know, there's a kind of cultural um, uh, permission to uh, hate all politicians and to mock all politicians, and to disrespect them, and so on. Instead, we won't be like that as Christians. We want to pray for them rather than be rude about them. By all means, debate. By all means, protest, but show respect, and to do so graciously. In other words, as citizens of the kingdom of God, we're to be good citizens of, our, of earthly kingdoms. Yes, for social benefit, to bring uh, order and justice and welfare, to commend Christ, to show to unbelievers the influence of Christ in our lives is actually to be submissive like he is and not rebellious and self-serving. But supremely in recognition of God, that they are the agents of God's will. And so in submission to God, we submit to governments. Christians are to submit to God. Everyone must submit to the governing authorities. 
Well, I finished there, and I'm aware that there are other people in this uh, room who are better qualified than me to uh, answer questions. So I wonder if anybody's got any questions or would like to say anything, qualify what I've said, and we can have a general discussion before we close in prayer. Okay? So has anybody got any comments or statements, or have I got it completely nailed down and you're all completely satisfied? Anybody like to uh, add a comment, ask a question? Okay, it's quite a complex question, but I think it was, can I say a bit more about following our conscience, um, particularly about areas where law doesn't um, uh, govern our, our behavior? What can we say about um, following our conscience? Um, I think, in, in general, of course, our consciences provide our inner awareness of moral responsibility. Our consciences are not um, uh, perfect. That is to say, they are informed, and they need to be educated, informed by the Word of God, and if they're not, where they are not, they're informed and educated by society around us, by family values and so on. So a conscience can be a reminder of what we've learnt from the Word of God. And they're often, our conscience is often a kind of an intuitive awareness that something's not right. So God has put in us, in, in us a conscience that makes us morally aware of our responsibility to God, but it's got twisted. So it needs to be constantly educated, shaped, transformed, so that we can live our lives uh, in accordance with the word of God. So I think our conscience is, if you like, a kind of warning bell that says there's some, um, something I'm unhappy about here. Now, to be certain and sure, we want to encourage one another to go back to the word of God and to uh, look for, uh, f- in, through the scriptures for a clarity upon the issues we're unhappy about. Uh, and I think, uh, in general, if, uh, if your conscience is uneasy, if you feel that the application of biblical principle means that something is not right, uh, in other words, because it says so in the Bible, where, the, where your conscience is, a, is an avenue to the word of God, uh, I would say follow your conscience. Follow your conscience. Not because we're being true to ourselves. It's not a kind of Hollywood conscience. You know, follow your conscience because that's the most important thing in all the world. But because your conscience will remind you of what God has said. So follow your conscience. Um, what else could we say? Anybody else got anything to, to comment on that? Matt, any comment on conscience? Thank you. Did you hear that? So, so stand by your conscience, but be willing to accept the punishment that goes with that. Yeah. Thank you. Another question. Tim. Thank you, Tim. That's really helpful, as always. Tim's just saying that there's, you know, we can be convicted and feel, feel bad that we've not uh, engaged more with social issues, but there are so many. Um, you know, how can we kind of deal with the sheer volume of issues? And 
um, I think the first thing, first thing to say is that, of course, we rest in the race of God, don't we? Um, that is to say, our whole lives are a mess, aren't they? But, but we're still saved through Christ and we're on our way to heaven. And so there's a kind of joy that, that uh, is irrepressible within us, that we're safe in Christ despite all our failures. So uh, I've no wish to harangue us all with an endless kind of, uh, we haven't done this, we haven't done that, because the list is endless. Uh, it would seem to me that um, in making a deci- decision, I think what we want to say is, what can I do? Evangelism, of course, I want to do as much of that as I can because that's the greatest good I can do for anyone. But, of course, you know, I've got jo- a job to do and I've got uh, other things to get on with in life and sometimes my friends don't want to hear any more about the gospel. And what, are the, what are the other things I can do that will show love and demonstrate the influence of Christ in my life? And it may be, a number of things will uh, influence our decision. I suppose, firstly, our personal circumstances. What line of work are we in? What are the kind of people that we're meeting uh, in other words, what is the particular situation where I am where I, can, where I can pick one topic, one thing that I could do? That would be one factor to bear in mind. Another, I think, would be seriousness, a level of seriousness. You know, it's, it's clear, isn't it, that some issues are of greater magnitude than, than others. Um, in other words, uh, I don't know, taxing families for the volume of their rubbish doesn't seem anywhere near as significant a, pu- a public policy you know, as uh, some of the medical issues we've, we've dealt with. And therefore, you know, we'll want to concentrate on those issues which are more uh, uh, demeaning of human life, have a you know, greater scale, uh, where people are more vulnerable, which is why the, the abortion issue is so major at the moment. And so it may be that we, we want to throw our weight and our time, what time we've got, behind something that is more important. I would have thought those two factors would bear in mind. I'm going to turn to Andy and Katrina, and see if they, uh, have you guys got anything to say? How do you choose what issue to get involved with? Isn't that helpful? And it was just saying, you know, we, we do get paralyzed by the scale of things. We don't have to deal with issues of the whole world. You know, get involved locally. And, and he's absolutely right. And it's amazing how much, uh, you know, we often say, don't we, that our culture is hostile to Christianity and there's a bigger gap between... Most non-Christians have never heard the gospel in language they can understand. And getting involved in something that is social welfare locally, getting involved as governor of a school getting involved in providing an after-school club, getting involved in local politics and so on, um, you know, is a way that we can actually get involved. And people respect that. And I've, you know, I've been convicted recently, there's a lot of moral awareness in, in young people. It may not be the same moral awareness that it was 30 years ago, but people care about uh, charity and relief work and helping the poor. They care about those things. And therefore, when we get involved with them ourselves, we both show the love of Christ commend the influence of Jesus on our, in our lives, and earn the opportunity to speak to people about the most important thing of all, which is the gospel. So, Andy, thank you for that, getting involved locally. So something that uh, really is under, in your personal circumstances, both who you are and what your local issues are. Any other last comment or question? Any other areas where uh, we particularly need to think about submitting to the law? 
um, apart from the roads and paying tax. I suppose it's where the cap fits, uh, wear it. I have no idea of what kind of beds of iniquity we're all lying in. We're going to have to um, take up our own uh, issues. Uh, there's someone with their hand up. Do you want to say something about that? Okay, I'll just do with this one then, if you don't mind. Um, anybody, any hot issues in particular anybody else wants to raise? Things where we need to be submissive to the government? Copyright? CDs. What is a CD? <laughs> it's a small record. Oh, no, I've seen those. I've seen those, yeah. And MP something or others and all that kind of downtrodden um, or downtreading. Or... Yeah, no, my kids are all doing that stuff. They spend all their time. So thank you. Copyright issues. Yep, thank you. I don't understand them, but um, uh, if you, well, find out. Yep, thank you. Other issues? Yeah. Students and plagiarism? Shocking idea. Who ever thought of... (laughs) I think it's just uh, source material, but um, uh, plagiarism? Okay, claiming the credit for somebody else's work? Yeah. Sorry, guys. Tough to hear. Other issues? Iraq and Afghanistan. Do you want to be a little more particular about that? Because you're absolutely right. Okay, informed protest at uh, war where we think it's wrong, where we think the issues are not being debated properly to get involved in public debate and protest. Yep, Tom? Drink driving? Yep, observing the limits of drinking as well as the driving, uh, the speeds. Yep, thank you. I think it's where the, where the cap, in other words, as we grow in life, there'll be different issues. Um, yep, I think we're just about finished. Who's leading here? I'll pray. Let's pray. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how practical and relevant it is to the way we live. And we ask, Lord God, that whether we're very new to these things or familiar with them, that you'd help us to learn to worship you with all of our lives, not just in church, but in the way that we live and in the way we relate to authority and governments over us. Pray you'd help us to learn this basic lesson that we must submit ourselves to the governing authorities within the qualifications of your word. We pray you'd help us to to commend the influence of Christ in our lives, that we're no longer self-seeking, but that we're willing to serve others and we're willing to entrust judgment to you. So we pray, Lord, you'd help us to be good citizens who care about society and care about the weak, the poor and the vulnerable. And that we are prepared to get involved and to stand up and to protest, but to do so in legitimate ways where possible, and to be willing to lay down our lives for the good of others where it's necessary. We ask these things for the honour of your name. Amen.